Welcome to the Functional Medicine Podcast with Dr. McMinn and Coach Lindsay. We're coming to you from McMinn Clinic in Birmingham, Alabama, where Dr. McMinn is an integrative and functional MD, and Lindsay Matthews is a registered nurse and IIN certified health coach. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest information on a wide range of topics in the field of functional medicine, which looks for the root cause of disease, and integrative medicine, which incorporates both conventional and alternative therapies. Our overall goal is to help you be the best that you can be in mind, body, and spirit. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without approval from your personal doctor. And now, on to the show with Dr. McMinn and Coach Lindsay. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. McMinn from McMinn Clinic, and welcome back to another edition of the Functional Medicine Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Coach Lindsay as well, and we are back in our second episode of this mini-series on gut health. And today we're going to talk about digestion and also a little bit about motility. So we do plan to talk a lot about the gut on this podcast in general. So we want to lay the groundwork today with the basics of what is the digestive system and how it works. Now, I must admit, I think this podcast is going to be maybe a little bit long and didactic, but I think it's worth uh, all being on the same page and, and having an understanding of how it's supposed to work. And that way, when things go wrong, we'll have a better frame of reference. But the gut is really an amazing and complex organ with many specialized parts. We often take it for granted, and we focus on sexier organs like the heart, the brain, that kind of stuff, but the gut just kind of keeps on trucking. Uh, it's an organ that ties all the other organs together, and I remember hearing one time uh, that if a patient has more than four different doctors, his or her problem is probably related to the gut. I think that came from one of my favorite uh, nutritionists, Dr. Liz Lipsky, who wrote this great book called Digestive Wellness many years ago. But anyway, the digestive tract is really a beautiful tract, uh, and when it goes right, uh, it, it's, it's amazing, but when there, there are so many places when it can go wrong. So today we're going to focus on digestion and motility, and later on we'll get to, around to things like uh, the microbiome and stuff like that. Perfect. So digestion, let's kind of define that. It's the process of breaking down food, um, breaking down those carbs, fats, proteins, and even breaking down the micronutrients into a form that the body can absorb. So we always hear you are what you eat, but what we're suggesting to you today is you are what you digest. You can eat a bunch of great food, but if you don't digest it, you won't absorb it and you won't get all the nutrients that you need to nourish your body. So all the good food doesn't do you any good. So let's uh, start by looking at the big picture and talk about what is the digestive tract. Uh, a term is used to describe uh, the hollow organs such as the esophagus, the stomach, the intestines, and that stretches all the way from the mouth down to the anus. And then the solid organs such as the liver, the pancreas, and the gallbladder. All these organs uh, work together uh, like a finely tuned orchestra to convert food into energy and then to get rid of all the waste. Um, so about 2,000 years ago, way before his time, uh, uh, the father of modern medicine, Hippocrates uh, once said that all diseases start in the gut. And it kind of makes sense that because every other organ and every cell in the body requires energy in the gut is where we extract that energy from the nutrients uh, uh, to keep our body running. Right. So without further ado, we'll get onto our voyage here into the journey of the digestive tract. It makes me think about that movie, Fantastic Voyage. So let's climb into the ship together or magic school bus for our younger um, guys out there. But when you, um, let's 
digestion starts before we even put food in our mouth. So you walk into the house and you smell mama's cooking and what happens? You got that saliva production already. Your mouth starts to water. And so that's the mucous membranes that are responsible for that. And so again, before food touches your lips, saliva is at work and that's digestion starting. So the saliva contains enzymes that help you break down the food. Enzymes are just transformers. They're things that change things. Um, So that gets us started. And uh, yeah, just last weekend, I ordered out Indian carry, uh, sorry, carry out Indian food, and I love Indian food. <laughs> and by the way, all those spices are really good for you. So anyway, I picked up the food and I put it in my car, and just the thought of the food uh, started making my mouth water. And then as I drove home, uh, the smell of food, I was almost drooling by the time I got home. Right. Uh, but uh, anyway, while we're on the subject, I'd like to put a plug in for the lovely mucous membrane that you just talked about. It's the pink tissue that has the, uh, that lines all the inside of the body, the GI tract, the respiratory tract, the genital tract. They're all covered by mucous membrane. And this is the interface between our body and the outside world. Uh, the mucous membrane is constantly protecting us from dangerous to infections, uh, from bugs that we eat or come in contact with. It's really pretty amazing stuff. But uh, let's move on. Uh, once the food is in our mouth, uh, we chew the food and that mechanical grinding of chewing breaks down the food into smaller particles, which are more manageable uh, that we can um, then attack with the salivary enzymes. So that's why it's so important to eat slowly and chew your food completely uh, so that the salivary amylase can break down the carbs, the salivary lipase can break down your fats. Now, I'm working with Coach Lindsay. She's my coach, uh, and so we work on a lot of things, but one of the most important things we're working on this year is mindfulness. So I've really worked at mindful eating, really chewing my food slowly and, uh, and tasting it. I think that's so important. So often we're eating while we're driving, we're eating while we're watching TV, and we're not being mindful of that. And so we're skipping a lot of that chewing process. And so then it's the food's getting down into our stomach and it's taking more energy on the lower end of our GI tract to kind of break that food down. So um, so we got the saliva going, we're chewing, the saliva lubricates the um, food and the membranes to slip down and go further into our GI tract. So, and we swallow that food and it gets mixed up with all that saliva and enzymes. So Dr. Whitman, where could things go wrong here on the front end if people can have saliva issues, right? Sure. I see it all the time. People come up with a dry mouth syndrome or sometimes actually Sjogren's syndrome, uh, which is kind of a funny spelling, S-J-O-G-R-E-N apostrophe S. And that's kind of an autoimmune disease that causes dry eyes, dry mouth, sometimes dry vagina, that kind of stuff. But anyway, uh, um, yeah, these people, they don't have enough saliva and enzymes uh, to start breaking down their food, and they can have some difficulty swallowing as well uh, uh, due to the lack of lubrication. It can be a real problem for them. Mm, Right. So, you know, as we, as Dr. McMinn said earlier, we got to understand what's going right. And then we'll also, as we're going through this, we can point out a couple areas of where things can go wrong. So that's example number one. Um, so food moves on down through your esophagus, down into your stomach. And this is where the real stuff starts to happen because we've got acid there in our stomach. And that's secreted by these cells called parietal cells. So that acid is hydrochloric acid, HCl. And it is super acidic, like car battery acid. And that's important um, that it is that acidic. One of the reasons is it helps you break down your proteins. Um, 
so if that acid were to leak out of our body, Dr. McMinn, um, it's, it would like eat right through our clothes. That's right. For sure. It's amazing. Um, it's really kind of cool that uh, theoretically that could eat through our stomach lining, but it's uh, kind of interesting that the stomach lining actually has a protective layer of cells that crank out a lot of alkaline bicarbonate, which neutralizes that acid. So it doesn't eat up the lining of the stomach. And uh, at the same time, that bicarbonate mixes with the uh, ACL, hydrochloric acid, and that combination then produces water. So this then feeds the gastric juice. So it's just amazing symphony of Mother Nature's chemistry toolbox at work there. Wow. Okay, so parietal cells, hydrochloric acid, bicarb. Then we've also got in in other cells called the chief cells, and these guys produce pepsinogen. So pepsinogen meets up with HCL and creates pepsin, which is an enzyme that breaks down protein. Um, So we have other enzymes, though, um, but if we don't have enough of HCL meeting up with the pepsinogen to create this pepsin, then we can have protein problems and not digest our proteins correctly. So we got the protein enzymes, but then there's other enzymes. We have fat enzymes, which is lipase that breaks down fat. We know that from that hint of the lipo at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we've also got amylase that helps break down starches. So Dr. Whitman, tell us another example here of what could go wrong with, like, say, for example, the protein part. Yeah, you know, I see uh, people all the time with low protein in their blood. We get a lot Lots of tests here. I don't do any more testing than we need to, but you know, one of the basic test is just a basically a, a metabolic panel and we look at that and often I see low protein. So the first thing I do is ask them about their diet, make sure they're getting plenty of protein in their diet. But that's usually not the problem. The, the More commonly the problem is they don't have enough HCL and enzymes to break down the protein. Um, so some other reasons people have low protein in their blood is the use of things like proton pump inhibitors, which also suppress the uh, hydrochloric acid. That would be things like Nexium and Prilosec, or sometimes they have a cro- chronic gastritis, which destro- destroys some of the acid producing cells. Wow. Well, I think a lot of times our approach to things is more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, I don't have enough protein in my blood, so right. more protein. Right. And so really understanding, like, why is your protein low helps us understand that more is not always better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that would just be located if someone were to go to a regular doctor. Is that in the CMP? Yeah, CMP, com- complete uh, metabolic panel. That's okay. right. Mm-hmm. So they could find their protein level mm-hmm. there. Um But another example of where enzyme production can go wrong, um, let's let's jump back to a gut-brain connection thing here. The gut and the brain are always in communication. And um, for our listeners who missed out on our first episode, go check that out because we allude a little bit more to all the different connections of the gut to the rest of your body. But as far as the gut-brain connection goes, um, there's this proverb, the body is a puppet of the mind. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) so your mind is controlling the Uh body and um so the example here is if we're really stressed out we're not going to create as much hydrochloric acid and enzymes and we're not going to have the same churning activity in our stomach and that affects our digestion process so we're not having those enzymes being produced when we are stressed gut brain connection Mm -hmm. Yeah, also these undigested proteins get down into your intestines down below and are much more likely to cause an immune response, contributing to things like inflammation and autoimmune disease. And uh, while I'm on the subject of autoimmune disease, uh, it's really kind of an interesting catch-22, if you know what I mean, Uh, um, because as we just mentioned, low stomach acid can cause autoimmune disease, and then autoimmune disease can cause low stomach acid, so it kind of goes both ways. Um, uh, This happens when we get uh, uh, antibodies or autoimmune response to the parietal cells back up in the stomach, which 
produce the hydrochloric acid and the intrinsic factor in the stomach, which is necessary for absorption of things like B12. So this creates a whole cascade of problems since this sets up people for things like uh, vitamin and mineral absorption issues, gas, bloating, infections, bacteria, and yeast overgrowth. Um, and then uh, poor, poor vitamin and mineral absorption then creates a low red blood cells, uh, which contributes to anemia and fatigue, and that can result in things like low white count, and it makes these people more susceptible to get infections. So as you can see, it's a big deal. It is. I mean, that was kind of a big bomb you just dropped there, Dr. Mm-hmm. Min. It was. It? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you were just alluding to autoimmune disease yeah, starting. Yeah, and yeah. It, you, we kind of started with undigested mm-hmm, proteins. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you know, uh, uh, I tell my patients all the time, all, the holy grail of autoimmune disease is in the gut. Right. And uh, so when somebody comes in with autoimmune disease, sometimes we focus on just the superficial things of getting them on, you know, some drugs or medications or steroids or whatever. But uh, unless you go back and fix the gut, they're going to go through life and get more and more autoimmune issues. And so you got to got to got to fix that gut. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so let's jump back then to where we were in our voyage with the um, stomach and the hydrochloric acid. So the hydrochloric acid is important because we just talked about the protein breaking down, but it's also important for other reasons. It's super acidic, and that kills off infectious things like bacteria, virus, fungi, parasites. And so if we don't have that powerful stomach acid, if we don't have that strong HCL, then we're more likely to have bugs, bad bugs, invited in and cause problems, for example, like SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And we see a lot of folks here for SIBO. Um, And so many of them, the initial factor with that is low HCL. So those people might present like gas, bloating, reflux, maybe even diarrhea. Yeah, so symptom-wise, when people uh, don't have enough uh, acid, they often feel bloated, or sometimes we just feel like uh, the stomach just doesn't empty, as if the food is just sort of sitting there. It can also cause excessive burping. Uh, um, And when patients come in with these kind of symptoms, I certainly think about poor digestion and perhaps uh, low uh, ACL. So before we head on out from the stomach, we also got to give attention to the fact that we've got valves in our stomach, um, which is something I never really thought much about. I think about valves in the circulatory system, but your stomach also has it. So once the food enters the stomach, the brain becomes involved because it sends signals for opening and closing that valve between the stomach and the esophagus. Back to the gut-brain connection. Yes. So um, people who don't have a good valve, um, they might be people like a hiatal hernia or they might be more prone to having reflux where the acidic context of the, of the stomach spill back upstream. So before we travel further down the digestive tract, let's just kind of summarize the stomach. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a fancy, uh, efficient mixer. Uh, throw in some food, add some saliva, uh, along with tons of specialized enzymes, and break it down those macronutrients of protein, fat, and carbs, and then add water and put this in a super acidic slurry and churn it away, and voila. The amazing stomach <laughs> turns all this liquid into something called chyme, which is what then enters the small intestine. So that whole churning process, that's about two hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then we've got chyme. And once the stomach is finished, the pyloric valve, here we go with valves again, um, between the stomach and the intestines open up just the right amount for the chyme to move through, but not enough for any of the bile to come back flow the other direction. So to to your point, Dr. McMahon, gut-brain connection. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So now the chyme is down in small intestines, and the main function of the small intestines is to extract the nutrients from the chyme and into the body. So there are three parts to the small intestines, and they are the duodenum, jejunum, and ileum. And altogether, they stretch out for about 22 feet. Wow. It's interesting, too, if you kind of look at the surface area of all that, it covers about the size of a tennis court. It's really amazing, and it's only one cell thick. So there's lots of surface area to help us extract the nutrients we need uh, for the food uh, to feed our body and to make energy. Wow. That's amazing. Isn't it? Really? <laughs> How does yeah. that all fit in there? A whole tennis court, only one cell thick. <laughs> Incredible. So the duodenum. This is where the liver adds the bile, which is made. Um, so bile is made in the liver, and then it gets stored in the gallbladder. And so when our body needs bile, it gets dumped out of the gallbladder into the duodenum. And the bile is used to break down fats and also help us with those fat-soluble vitamins, pulling those out of the food. And those are A, D, E, and K. Is that correct, Dr. Mm -hmm. McKinney? Yeah, right. Those fat-soluble mm -hmm. vitamins. So if people have their gallbladder removed, and we see this a lot, mm -hmm. don't mm -hmm. we? Yeah, we do. Um, then those people are more susceptible for having trouble absorbing their fat and their fat-soluble vitamin. So something also anecdotally, or, or actually, is it research, according to research, right, right. that um, people who have their gallbladder removed, they're at a more increased risk for autoimmune disease. Exactly. Mm. And uh, at about the same time, the pancreas is also dumping its juices uh, in enzymes, and uh, it secretes pancreatic enzymes for carbs, pancreatic lipase for fats, and trypsin for proteins. The pancreas also secretes a bicarbonate to alkalinize the chyme a bit. So the mucous membrane lining of the small intestine, which is not as robust as the stomach, uh, um, uh, can survive the uh, strong hydrochloric acid. Mm. So the small intestine is where the chyme is broken down into particles small enough to get absorbed into the body. And this is really where motility happens, where we get a lot of movement. Um, so the small intestine has muscles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who knew? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really. <laughs> Who knew? Mm -hmm. um, and they're constantly stretching and contracting. And they do that in a synchronized way. And that's called peristalsis, this mm -hmm. wave-like motion that grinds and moves and mixes the food. Um, and that's what also helps that absorption process. So as the chyme passes through, um, if the motility is slowed up for whatever reason, what that can look like is um, bloating, pain, and reflux. Uh, but if our motility is too fast, then we don't have the time to extract the nutrients we need. It's kind of like this Goldilocks phenomenon. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> not too right. fast, not too slow. That's right. So stress can be a major factor with uh, motility. Uh, in fact, uh, during times of that fight-flight stress, we tend to shunt our energy to our heart, our nervous system, our muscles for that fight-flight and away from digestion. So stress can be a major contributing factor to poor motility. So... Then we come to the second part of the intestines, which is the jejunum. And this is actually where 90% of the absorption of our food occurs, including your proteins, carbs, vitamins, and minerals. And then the last part of the small intestine is the ileum, where uh, we absorb water, bile salts, and then our B12. So once the small intestines have extracted all the good stuff from our food, um, then the, chy the chyme passes through the ileocecal valve into the large intestines or the colon. Mm -hmm. And this is where the gut microbiome uh, kicks in. Uh, that's our gut flora. Um, uh, and we're supposed to have very few bugs, such as bacteria and yeast, in the small intestines. But when we get down into the colon, we have kajillions of bacteria just teeming with lots and lots of different kinds, about a thousand different species of bacteria for optimally. Um, and this is uh, 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 known once again as the gut microbiome. Mm. 
I think it's really interesting that we pass so far through the mm-hmm, GI tract mm-hmm. and then boom, this yeah. is where the focus of the microbiome is. Which, which points out that each of these organs ha- have a special function, mm-hmm. right? But they yes. all kind of uh, uh, are orchestrated to work with each other. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we do have um, problems with our gut flora, there's a lot of factors that can can lead to that. Um, so if perhaps being born by C-section, that can alter our gut flora that we enter into the world through because we're not being um, inoculated with that vaginal flora from our mother. Um, We might have been bottle fell, and that also can contribute to a a decreased gut flora for a child for the rest of your life. Um, Other biggies are just poor diet. (laughs) If we're not putting Mm -hmm, the right food mm -hmm. in that the bacteria like and that they thrive with, we're going to be inviting in the bad guys. Um, And then there's also the big thing of overuse of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting, uh, Lindsay. I think one of the hottest topics in medicine these days is that gut microbiome issue. Uh, We've begun to realize these bugs are absolutely necessary for health uh, to the point where we just couldn't live without them. Uh, And uh, we hope to come back uh, around to this at a later podcast to really delve into that microbiome much deeper. Yes. Um, isn't it like we're 10 times more bacteria than yeah. human? Yeah, it's really <laughs> That's interesting. A big deal That's right. That's right. You're more walking uh-huh. bacteria. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I heard one author one time, he said that basically uh, uh, we are a life support system for our bacteria. Uh, <laughs> our, our brains uh, help us figure out where to get food to feed our bacteria. Our, our muscles and bones help us you know, go get the food to feed our bacteria. It's all about feeding our bacteria. Wow. It's yeah, like pinky in the yeah. brain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, this operation that's happening behind mm-hmm. the scenes we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to our colon here. The main function of that colon is to extract water and salt from the solid waste before it's eliminated. And it also does some fermentation there. Um, so the unabsorbed mm-hmm. bacteria materials and bacteria serve to ferment um, and that can produce vitamins in and of itself Mm -hmm. that our body uses like vitamin k so the colon compacts the stool and then through this amazing complex complicated thing we eliminate stool out through the anus and voila that's boop Mm -hmm. yeah and so in a nutshell that's digestion voila (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us on our fantastic voyage through the GI tract. It was a specialized mission. And now that we're um, out, I hope that this empowers you. Um, We talk a lot about being an empowered patient. Um, Our medical system today is set up where sometimes you just come to the doctor to get fixed. Mm -hmm. And to change that model, it requires you as a listener, Mm -hmm. as a patient, to gear up. And our goal as health practitioners is to help you gear up, to help you be empowered with that knowledge um, so that you are no longer a victim. And so thanks for bearing with us on this podcast. I know it was a little bit longer than our usual podcast and uh, uh, maybe a, a tad didactic, but we want uh, everybody to understand how the GI tract is supposed to work because uh, often things don't work right. They go wrong, and that helps us uh, give, a, give us a frame of reference. Uh, so uh, anyway, that'll about do it for this edition of the Functional Medicine Podcast. And so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we hope that we were able to share something with you that was useful to you. Please check us out on functionalmedicinepodcast.com and also check out the mcminnclinic.com website and please rate us on iTunes. And I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Ben Wedland, our recording engineer. Thanks so much, Ben. 
And Dr. McMahon, if you don't mind, I'll just mm. enter in with one last note. I okay. think we we hinted a lot about the gut-brain connection throughout mm. this, and there's just this stress connection um, with our digestion mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. really important. We talked about that with, you know, if we're, we're under stress, if we're, if we're not being mindful when we're eating, we're not making the HCL, mm-hmm. we're not having that peristalsic movement appropriately. So... As a coach, we work mm-hmm. on mindfulness. I know right. that's something right. you're working on and I'm working on. And so the first step there is just slow down. Yeah. yeah. Pause before you eat. Mm-hmm. Chew. Mm-hmm. Um, the I love talking about the blue zones. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so in Okinawa. Which, now, what, are, what are blue zones? Okay, so thank you. That. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the blue zones are areas identified around the world where people are living the longest and not only living the longest, but living well. Mm-hmm. And so one of those areas is Okinawa, Japan. And in um, there, one of their traditions is to utter the words hara hachibu before they eat. And what does that mean? And that means eat until you're 80% full. Oh, yeah, I like that, yeah. yeah. And um, it also just invites you to have a little bit more pause mm-hmm. when you're eating and just to chew, yeah. chew your food and enjoy what's yeah. in front of you. I think in America we tend to eat until we're about to 120% full, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> we right. eat so fast, we uh, we're, we're full before we know it, right? Yes. And then we get up from the table and feel stuffed, especially around, say, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, that kind of stuff, uh, when Correct. the family gets together, uh, right? Or, or at that uh, potluck dinner, right? So uh, exactly. anyway, so I think it's a great idea to eat slowly and stop when you're about 80% full. Hara haji boo, friends. All right, very good. Well, thanks for the tip, Lindsay. Um, and uh, that should wrap it up uh, for this uh, edition of the Functional Medicine Podcast. Until next time. This is Coach Lindsay. And y'all take care and and be be well. well.